Hey friends, whether you grew up as a Christian or found faith later in life, you probably had at least one moment where you were convinced to change your behavior because of the Lord. Our guest today says that conviction is essential and shares the story when he lost everything but found the Lord afresh. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 341, Bob Wheatley and the Moment of Conviction. All right. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. We really try to get behind what is it like to walk with God uh, in the 21st century? Is it different? Is it the same? What kind of experiences do people have? You're in the right place. Those are the kind of stories that you want to hear. As always, be sure to give a share, a follow, a comment. Do those things when you see Halfway There out there on social or, uh, you know, if you're listening and you go, my friend would love this. My sister would love this. My mom needs to hear this, send it to them and let them know that they should listen. That is always helpful. If you feel so inclined, you can always go to halfway there podcast.com halfway there podcast.com hit the uh, Patreon link. We would love to have you support the show. Thanks to those of you who do. I'm excited about this conversation because I know that it's going to be a good one uh, for lots of very cool reasons. Our guest today is he's a best-selling author, podcaster, a former professional athlete. He co-hosts a show called That Single Show, a single ministry sponsored uh, by KCBI Radio in Dallas, which is pretty fascinating. I bet there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, in our in his spare time, our guest likes to read, write, hike, watch sports, do all that kind of stuff. Our guest is Bob Wheatley. Bob, welcome to Halfway There. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to dive in. I am excited to dive in with you. So the one thing that I, I just skipped over in your bio a little bit, uh, because I wanted to t- ask you about it, is you played four years of professional baseball uh, with uh, the the Blue Jays, but then also the best team in baseball, the St. Louis Cardinals, who happened to be my team. So that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that when we, uh, when we first made this connection. Yep. So I played for four years professionally. I played for two years for the Blue Jays. They're the ones that drafted me. And I played for St. Louis in 2016, reported to spring training in 2017, ended up getting released there. I'm a much bigger fan of St. Louis than my mom is. She's like, how, how could they fire you? You're the best pitcher that ever lived. Evidently That's that funny. wasn't true, but then I played for a couple months in independent professional baseball okay. as well before wrapping it up. So yeah, three, three organizations in total, probably something like 12 or so uniforms when it was all said and done. Yeah. But yeah. It was a great experience. Do you still get the itch in like uh springtime? Do you go like, I gotta, I gotta go through a baseball or something or no, not at all. Not at all. Not, a, not at all. Yeah. When it comes to baseball, I mean, in the minor leagues, you're going to end up playing about 140 games a year. So it's just, uh-huh. it's so much baseball, so much baseball. And I was a football player in high school as well. So as a pitcher for the baseball team, quarterback on the football team. And if there's any itch that I get, it's actually in the world of football, oddly enough. Maybe it's because oh, I just played dozens of games instead of hundreds. <laughs> But right, once right. once August and September rolls around, like man, I would love to sling that pigskin a little bit. Baseball, not at all. I'll still watch. I'll yeah. still watch the playoffs and very much get involved with the World Series and stuff like that. But nah, once spring training rolls around, I'm like, oh cool, I guess spring is here. There's no it, no itch. Interesting. I'm trying to think of some of the guys that were coming up around that time. That was an interesting uh, interesting time, maybe trying to rack my brain as far as who's on the 
the active roster for St. Louis right now. Played with Tommy Edmond for a bit. Oh, yeah. uh, Jake Woodford, I ruined with him. Yeah. Um, he's he's going to make the team this year. I think he's going to be, he's pitching well. Yeah. Jordan Hicks. Okay. Um, I, I was there from 16 to 17. So it would have been people in, yeah, yeah. you know, in the, in the minor leagues that are going to show up in the bigs in two or yeah. three years time, which, you know, here we are Lars yeah. Newt bar. I played with his yep. brother, Nigel at USC. So I never played with Lars oh, cool. Missed him by like one year, but he's, you know, a, a family friend just cause I played with his, his brother for three years. That's cool. Alex yeah. Reyes maybe was around around then. Yep. So. Absolutely. Interesting. Oh, well, cool. All right. So friends, sorry, we're nerding out on baseball, but this happens. They know this happens because I've had a few baseball people on. So it's my, it's my jam. I love, I love baseball and I'm excited for the season to get started, which by the time this is out, it's already underway. So Bob, that's, that's some of your story, obviously in the professional baseball uh, world, professional sports world, but I want to get really into your story. But before we do, is there anything like else that we should know about kind of where you are and what God has you doing right at the moment? Yeah, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. So when I retired from playing playing ball, went back home to Orange County, California. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit. I would have told you I was a Christian for 12 years, maybe. I retired at 25, baptized at 12, 13. I went to a Christian middle school. I went to a Christian high school. Like instead of Wheatley on the back of my jersey, there's literally a cross. It's so like, oh, uh-huh. okay, this guy's a Christian and he's surrounded by Christians. But if Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I wasn't a believer. I didn't love him. I loved him when it was convenient to me, which meant that I didn't really love him at all. So as far as what I'm doing today, ended up moving to Nashville after, our, after I retired. I truly felt like God just told me to come here. That was the first time in my life where I stopped quarterbacking my life and I just had ears to listen, eyes to see, said, Lord, I will, I will do whatever you want. Just tell me, tell me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want me to do for work. The baseball dream is over. So I am very available. What do you have? And so moved to Nashville about five years ago. It's done nothing but confirm that I was hearing correctly from him. I have an amazing community out here. My faith has completely exploded. It's been encouraged by everyone that I'm I'm around. And even my day job, I work for a company called Brand Builders Group. I'm a director with Brand Builders. And I actually signed with Brand Builders as a client to help me with this book project. So I was a I was working in real estate. I was helping military families move to new bases. Mm-hmm. I was not a Christian author, podcaster, nothing in that world. And then I felt so gripped to write this book. It was over the course of the pandemic. I had a lot of downtime and I was just, you know, mornings, nights, weekends, a book came out, but I didn't have a plan to bring it to the market. So I signed with this Christian led company called Brand Builders Group that I had been referred to. And what we do at Brand Builders is we help authors, speakers, podcasters, coaches develop their personal brand and their business. So it was just like a one-stop shop, perfect fit for me. And I, I fell so in love with the people and the help they were giving me. I literally 
asked them for a job, said, I will quit my job if you let me work for you. So it's my long-winded answer as far as what, I, yeah. what am I doing today? I'm working as a director at Brand Builders Group here in Nashville, Tennessee, helping authors, speakers, coaches change the world. It's awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. So that's an interesting uh, term, but you're, it sounds like you're having a great time. So I'm really fascinated by your story as you're going through um, some of that and how that is where your faith sort of uh, like took off in some interesting ways. Right. So I want to hear about that, but going back to the beginning. So where did you grow up again? Did you, I don't remember if you said. Yeah. So Orange County, California. Orange County, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And I went to school that's in right. Los Angeles. Okay. So, yep. uh, what was, so what was that? What was your family like? You so you, it was a Christian family. You got, you got baptized at 12, but was it just kind of the thing you did or how did, how do you describe that for me? Yeah, I would say, Knowing the relationship I have with God now, knowing the types of conversations I have with friends and even family now, you're right. It was just kind of something we did. It was, oh, we're a Christian family. Our kids go to Christian schools. We pray before dinner and we pray before we go to bed and we do the best to follow the rules. We're law abiding citizens. We're Christians. Yeah. Whereas today, just ever since I officially gave my life over to God, five years ago, I know there's more. I think back then I didn't know. It's like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like I am obviously a Christian, obviously saved. Yeah, I only obey God when I truly want to and when it's easy. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not something else. Like I'm going to his church on a Sunday. I'm a Christian. But yeah, it, uh, I mean, praise God, I've, my eyes have been open to what's yeah. what's possible and it just, it continues to deepen like any valuable relationship. Yeah. Which is, that's how it goes. So I'm curious. So you, you, you said you're 12 baptized at 12. Was there something that was an impetus for that? Or was, what was that like? No, it was just kind of something that we did. And I've actually been, I've been rebaptized since coming oh, out here to Nashville. Yeah. It was time. You were one of, kind of one of those like, yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Well, so what was your relationship with God like then throughout your kind of grow, the rest of your time growing up and college and all that? Distant. Mm. Distant. I, I thought of him as more of a judge or a referee in the sky, kind of like he sets the rules of the game and then it's up to us to play the game. And there are different things built into that game. If you follow the rules, he'll bless you. If you don't follow the rules, he'll curse you. It wasn't that I was like afraid of being smited or something like that, but it felt very distant. I definitely like, I never once prayed, Hey Lord, where do you think I should go to college? Not once. Yeah. Now I went, I went to my dream school in USC. I grew up a, USC Trojan fan. We had some awesome football teams while I was growing up. My parents met there. So I'd always wanted to go there. And then they offered me a baseball scholarship. It felt like an absolute no brainer. Yeah. I can 100% say this is well over a decade ago. I did not pray about it. Like I didn't, I didn't even think to pray about it. And that's such a huge decision. Like, where should I go to school? Should it be in Los Angeles or should it be in Boston? Like that, that is such a huge thing. And I, I believe in God's sovereignty. 
Like he knew that I wasn't going to ask him for his input. <laughs> I still right. think that might've been a mistake. Like if I was counseling my son, you should absolutely pray about it. But now when I look at job openings or making a home purchase or something like that, or even should I, or should I not go on this vacation? Like, it's not weird for me to pray like, Hey, Lord, what, what do you, what do you think? If I've truly died to myself, I'm a dead man. What do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And it's oftentimes a yes on the vacation or the home purchase or whatever, but I've had different things where even literally just this week, I've been going through a difficult season. It feels like everything is just such an uphill battle. And I've been exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And I just couldn't figure it out. I'm like confessing sin. I'm, I'm talking to mentors and stuff like that. I'm like, what is going on? And then just yesterday, I was having a conversation. It wasn't even like about the things of God. And I realized, oh, this is what it feels like when, you're, when you've stepped outside of God's will for you. And so, you know, I love to talk about my first book. I'm happy to get into it. I've started writing another book and I, in my flesh, am super passionate about it. I'm waking up early in the morning, writing before work, stuff like that. And I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And so as time goes on, maybe God gives me that freedom again and kind of puts the wind in my sails for that second book. But as I thought about it, it's like, maybe, maybe God doesn't want me to write that book or at least not right now. I need to be okay with that because I might be yep. super excited about a project like, whoa, this will this will sell like hotcakes. This is going to help <laughs> a ton <laughs> of people. This is a much needed book in the Christian space today. And I believe I'm the person to write it. If God says no, I need to be willing to say, okay, I guess I'm wrong. Maybe it won't yeah. sell like hotcakes. Maybe I'm not the person to write it. Maybe now isn't the time. And God knows that. So I'm like, I'm fighting this uphill battle for weeks. And then I realized, all right, well, walking with God feels like a downhill thing. Like it's easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Right. We can go through difficult things, but that's external. That's like, it's calm in the boat. It's the storm outside. Yep. Just realizing, I mean, it's like a, it's a constant learning process, but yeah, what a what a valuable lesson. I I literally had that hit me yesterday. Woke up today, felt totally different. What a weird thing. Yeah. Well, it can be that way. And that's part of what I why I'm interested in the experiences of God's people because I wanted to one of my goals on this show is to demonstrate to people that uh the things that we read about in scripture, the experiences that God's people have had, the stories that we hear about through the millennia of God's people. Uh, and church history, and we have to go beyond our own little bit of evangelical Protestant history in order to find some of these people um, are pretty common, right? They're pretty normal. They're, they they have they have some themes. They have common experiences that we all have, and some of what you're describing is all in that uh, in that kind of thing. Moments of confusion or moments of feeling like God's closing the door or God's doing something else. So. That uh, I love hearing that because I think how we handle it then is really a matter of faith, right? So we may not feel it. We may not um, sense that God is close, but if we have an idea of what he wants us to do, then we have to 
we have to pursue that. So I'd love to hear more about, so see, you mentioned that your relationship with God was distant in the, in that kind of season before this, this transition a few years ago, which we'll talk about, we'll get to that. And we'll talk about the book here as we get going. Um, but you are, so you're, you're having that distance. Like, was that the case the whole time, like clear, clear up until just, just this last five years? Or was that, did you ever have a moment where you were, you had mentors or somebody was kind of helping you develop your faith at all? Are you saying like, when did it flip from distant to close? Uh, well, I'm, I'm asking if there was any other thing that you would characterize that season of. So, I mean, maybe it was whatever that was, let's say 12 or 15 years. Like, was there anything else? Did you have any other moments or experiences with God or was it just, it might, it might be, I know that to get into professional sports, you got to be focused. That's the thing that you're doing, right? So you're probably that, that might've been the, the thing. And maybe that was all you were thinking about. Yeah. It was much more of that. It was just a casual Mm -hmm. Christianity it wasn't a relationship. And again, yeah. I go back to what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That doesn't mean that we'll follow him perfectly. We're not going to bat a thousand and never sin. Right. But the Christian, the true believer that's actually been converted and, and reborn, there is a shift. There's a general direction of obedience in that person's life. And I'm sure you've seen it where there's somebody who is definitely not a believer and they become a believer like, whoa, different person. They have different friends. They might wear different clothes. They listen to different music. They don't cuss as much. Like it's like different person. What happened? Well, I became a Christian. Yeah. My likes became dislikes. Like my heart was changed. And so for me, that, that really didn't happen until I was 25. I could have been baptized at 12. I was not following him. My heart was not ignited until I was 25. Mm -hmm. And a part of that heart setting on fire, frankly, was being convicted of sin. Mm. I I think that's one part. I was going to say, I think that's one part of the gospel that we oftentimes leave out. It's because the gospel being the good news, Jesus being the savior. Okay, great. Saved from what? Right. Why why do I need a savior? Like we're so quick to say, Hey, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. You're going to heaven. That's kind of like a, that's a half-baked gospel or like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's one of my heroes of the faith. He talks about cheap grace, right? Like, oh, here's, here's grace. Like everybody gets grace, right? But what we need to, we, we can't forget the front end of that. Okay. Jesus, the savior, savior from what? Our sin, our wretchedness, our brokenness, hell forever. Like it's not until we can truly see who we are in relation to God. It's the, I mean, it's King David in Psalm 51. It's the, the broken and contrite heart where once we realize, man, I'm not all that. I I am in desperate need of a savior. I have offended and sinned against a holy God and the God that I love and yet he still gives me an opportunity to be made new and be with him forever. That is the God that I want to be with. That is a God that I want to worship, but it's an understanding the sin on the front end. Like it is, it is the sin. It is our wretchedness that causes us to cry out, Lord, make me clean. If we don't think we're dirty, we'll never cry out for a savior. 
You don't need one. Right. So tell me that story of how you uh, had that transformation. And I want, I guess uh, before you do that, I wanted to ask about how, like, it just was it, well, maybe I already did, I guess, but through, through baseball, through your baseball career, was it like, because I know there's like, they've got chaplains and they've got things and like, was it, were you I was attending those people or was there, any, you were going and you were just like, nah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was attending and I would have told you that I was bought in. And frankly, because I went to a Christian middle school and a Christian high school, I probably had more of the Bible memorized than anyone there. Right. You could, you could say all the right things. This is one of the things that I think is really interesting is it's very easy, particularly when you grow up in a Christian home, particularly when this is your, this is your thing. And and my guess is you probably, well, I'll just tell you, this is my interpretation. Okay. So you can reframe or whatever you want to do, but I, like, I think you, you were, you were a, a believer, perhaps you, you tell me what you think, but there's a, there's these inflection points. There's these moments in our journey where maybe we can call it sanctification, right? Where God's doing different work, right? He's doing different work and he's calling us out of certain things. Um, so I get a little hesitant to say like, well, maybe not or uh, draw that line too, fu- too, uh, too tightly. Cause I think, um, I don't want to be fuzzy, but I do think sometimes in the stories I've heard, there are, it's not always as clear cut as you, as I'd like to think, which, which makes me both nervous and really grateful. Right. So yeah. that's kind of, well, I, I, I totally hear you on that. I'm going to go back to God's sovereignty. There was, there was mm-hmm. no, there was no example. There was no instance where Bob Wheatley only lives for 22 years. Like really? as of right now, I'm 30 years and change, 30 years and counting. That's the story that God has written. I am discovering that story in lifetime. He already knows what it is. Right. So Absolutely. In that if we if our names are written in the book of life, we have we have been predestined for adoption as sons since before we were even a thing. So right. in that sense, set in stone. But in the here and now, and again only the person who's living within the body can know the heart change. I just experienced the heart change that happened yeah. at 25 where what, like, I think a lot of people throw around, um, they throw around Matthew seven twenty one as one of the most dangerous or scary verses in scripture. That's the depart from me. I never knew you verse. There'll be some sure. who work miracles, cast out demons in my name. But when they come to me, this is Jesus speaking. I'll say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. A lot of people will throw that out like, oh, that's super scary. Like, what if what if Jesus says that to you? But then again, you can also come back and say, well, I'm, I'm kind of just like regular Joe Christian. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm not like on television. Like those are the people where they're flying on planes and, you know, they're getting their Billy Graham on and then they're going to be surprised. I'm, I'm just a regular old nine to five Christian. That won't be me. Right. For me personally, I, I think the scariest verse of the Bible is Hebrews 10, 26. Hebrews 10, 26 says, if you continue to sin deliberately after coming to the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That yeah. that's scary because what that's saying is if you know the truth, but think God is your get out of hell free card, which he is, but you you overstep that again, going back to Bonhoeffer's cheap grace. If you sin deliberately after coming to the knowledge of the truth, 
your sins aren't forgiven. That's scary. I think there's a lot of people that think they're Christians. Like, oh, it's good, you know, go nuts on Saturday, get right with the Lord on Sunday. It's like, that, that's not how it works. That is not what a Christian heart would say. A Christian heart would say, I want to be right with the Lord every day because he's my master. He's my father. I love him. Right. It, it was that heart change that I saw at 25, why I can well, kind of draw the line in the sand. Yeah. Well, tell us that story then. How'd that happen? Yeah. I, like I said, I grew up in the church. I was around it. I wasn't an expert on scripture, but it's memorizing scripture. And like I shared, I was just completely convicted of sin in a bunch of different areas of my life. And fortunately, it was failures that led to that. So my baseball career ended. I was running a protein bar business while I played in the minors. That business ended. And then I had a three-year relationship that ended in a pretty ugly and abrupt way. So baseball, business, girl, gone. All in that summer of 2017, which also meant that the life that I had been slowly creating and dreaming of in my mind, that was gone too. Baseball, business, girl, white picket fence is like, yeah. I, I had nothing left that I had dreamed of. So the person who would have told you he was a Christian the whole time was now feeling so much pain that I, I was very humbled by that. So I officially fell to my knees as the one who like every plan had blown up like, all right, Lord, mm -hmm. you say you have plans for me. You say the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps I'm, I'm in, I, I'm so tired and broken that I don't want to quarterback my life anymore, but also I objectively know you are the author of this story. So I'm, I'm done fighting against that. I want to get in line with what you're doing. Here's my yes. And so you mentioned the word sanctification. That is absolutely a process. Like I, like I said, I discovered yep. something yesterday, right. but that's when that process started like okay yeah. i'm 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 gonna read your word i'm gonna confess sin i'm gonna change my i'm gonna conform my life to what you want even when it's inconvenient for me and you had asked earlier about mentors and stuff like that what did that look like i ended up moving to nashville and i was working in finance initially and i was surrounded by just so many godly men strong, powerful kingdom men. And they're like, all right, you want to actually do this walking with God thing? Cool. Read the Bible. Like get into God's word. You want to discover him? Don't just do it one verse at a time. So I had a mentor who he challenged me. He's like, I want you to read the Bible cover to cover this year. This was in 2018 when I first moved yeah. to Nashville. And so I did that. And, you know, I, I had memorized a handful of verses, most in the New Testament, of course. So it was kind of like Adam, Eve, fall of man, Genesis stories, and then sporadic verses in the New Testament. I didn't, I didn't have the master story. I didn't really know. And so as I read the Bible uh -huh. cover to cover 2018, shocker, my faith takes off and the story's amazing. And my connection with God deepens. And then I do it again in 19. And in 20 yep. 
and in 21 and 22. And this year, 23 will be the sixth year in a row that I read the Bible in a year. That doesn't mean I'm an expert on it, but that does mean I'm constantly reminding myself of God's story every year. Yep. So, and it's such that that is like, that is the gospel. It's the map. Tell the story of God, tell the good news of God. There's some bad stuff in there, mostly related to us, but tell the story, tell the whole thing, not just, we don't need bumper sticker Christianity. The whole thing is awesome. Don't leave it out. I agree. Yeah. I think that's good. It, It is vitally important. I love, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think, um, there is something so valuable about getting the big picture. I know for me, that was like the big kind of aha moment when I started to understand the entire story that we're living in, right? That we're not just, it's not just, oh, you know, our history or the history of our denomination, but it's also, there's a much bigger, the people of God, like I talked about earlier, uh, goes back much further and we can learn from them. And that's a, that's a really big, uh, deal. So that's great. You get, you get into scripture, you're reading it, you're learning a lot. Um, I was interested in, uh, that decision to move to Nashville. Cause you talked about that a little bit deciding to move, uh, cause it felt like I was, was leading you there. But what led you, what, what, what did the experience of feeling that God let, was leading you feel like, what was it like? Yeah, it's a great question. It started with, started with a prayer. And it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to pray the prayer of submission tonight. This is this is on the calendar. Seems like the right day to do it. It was truly just an honest thing. I probably woke up the next day and didn't think anything about it. But I did pray, Lord, show me. Here's my life. Show me where you want me to go. Baseball is done. That doesn't mean I have to live in Orange County, California for the rest of my life. I will, but only if you want me to. And so after I pray that prayer, show me where you want me to go. I, I can't explain it. I just had the city of Nashville on my heart and I couldn't really get rid of it. it I, I had never been there before. Obviously Vanderbilt has a very good college baseball team. So I'd played with a handful of Vanderbilt players, but I'd never been to music city. There's, there's nothing yeah. that was drawing me to Nashville beyond this this nudge. It was like Nashville was just a magnet and it was, it was pulling me there. And I couldn't really explain it because I had just given my life over to God. I also grew up Lutheran. So there wasn't a ton of, Oh, maybe the spirit is saying this to you or, you know, potential gifts of the spirit, visions, dreams, speaking in tongues, things like that. We just, we didn't talk about those things. And so I started feeling this like, all right, well, I, I prayed asking him to lead me. And then I have this desire to move somewhere. I've never been, I have no reason to, no reason to seek it in my own. And so I prayed, I fasted, I took time. I sought counsel. I was like, Hey, am I, am I nuts? Because if I'm moving 2000 miles away from my friends and my family, I want to have people affirm that it might be God. And yeah, after taking that time, and again, I, I was doing the best I can to operate in wisdom. I felt like it was from him. It was very much still a leap of faith. You never, you never really know. 
And then I step into it and there's this amazing group of Christians just waiting for me. I actually have a handful of friends in Nashville that I reconnect with from high school and college and different things. And it was like, God just rolled out the red carpet for me. Yeah. I love that. And that's where you started to find some people who were able to speak into what you were doing and, and where you wanted to go. Is that right? Yes. And is that, is that really surprising that after saying yes, (laughs) to the city that I think God is saying, but it's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I prayed and fasted. So I guess the, the odds go up that I'm hearing correctly. And then I moved to Nashville and it's just like, everybody I speak to is, Hey, here's how you connect with God. Here's how you relate with God. Here's how you walk with God. Like, is that, is that surprising that the master author would conduct that? Not at all. Yep. Yep. I love that. Uh, okay. Well, that's good. So then you were working in a bunch of different, it sounds like you did a few things. You were working in finance and then I think you mentioned real estate, right? Doing some of that kind of stuff. Um, what was, uh, so how'd you end up, how'd you decide to write a book? Like where'd that come from? Yeah, I think, well, number one, I feel like it was just a good work prepared in advance for me. I never grew up wanting to be an author ever. I never even knew that I had a gift in it. I was always a math brain yeah. in school. Like I, I did fine in English and you know, your, your AP language courses and stuff like that. I did okay in those, but there was never a great passion, but I was always a reader, especially in the minor leagues. Cause in the minor leagues, you, you just have so much downtime. You're on the bus, you're in the clubhouse, you're, you know, you're, you're, there's a rain delay or whatever it is. And so yep. with that time, it's up to you to choose how you spend it. It could be playing cards with the guys. It could be scrolling Instagram or worse, or you could read. And yeah. so I, I spent a lot of time reading. The problem was it was like a hundred percent nonfiction. hundred percent. Okay. It was all, how do I get better? How do I throw baseballs faster? Mm-hmm. What should my nutrition be? It was just all baseball focused self-help. And then I had a friend here in Nashville who she knew I was a reader, but she also knew that I, I never read fiction and she was just on me for, for months. Like, Hey man, you need, you need to try fiction. Like you need to lighten up. You need to talk to the right side of your brain, read some fiction. Like there doesn't need to be a goal for every reading session. When you sit down, maybe you could just read to enjoy. And so I finally caved and I start diving into fiction novels, specifically classics. Like I read Frankenstein, East of Eden, Anna Karenina, Mm -hmm. Count of Monte Cristo. That's a big commitment. Both of those are big commitments, right? Count of Monte Cristo is huge. And you're like, oh man. (laughs) Yeah. The the biggest one I read was one of my favorites is Les Miserables. My copy is 1,247 pages. And I love, and I loved it. (laughs) So I go from this nonfiction guy, just like, let's get better today to I'm reading thousand page novels just because. Yeah. And what that did, did that do anything for you? Like that does something though, doesn't it? Well, 100%. So that's kind of how this book came about. Cause I've shared, I have one mentor who challenges me, Hey, let's read the Bible in a year together. So I'm constantly reminding myself of God's master story. And then I'm also reading these novels and learning about storytelling, because I think as I continue to read, 
I just had a lot of thoughts myself. So it started as short form journals and stuff like that. Then I started writing a couple books and they were no good. I mean, they'll, they'll never see the light of day, but I was like, I wonder, I wonder if I could write one of these things. And so I started to study that. How do you write a book? How do you craft it? How do you build a world? How do you create a character? And what I realized through that process, and it's actually chapter one of my book, Our Heart's Desire, I was reading a specific science fiction novel, stepping into the world of science fiction. And it's the end of the book, the hero wins the girl. And that moment just struck me on so many different levels because number one, I wanted him to win the girl. Of course you do. Like you're rooting for the protagonist the whole time. But then there was something else in me that was like, okay, I've heard this story before, yet I'm still cheering for him. Why is that? Like, I I knew he was going to win the girl. Of course he, of course he would. Why is it that even though I'm not surprised, I'm still elated? And then I look at the book on my nightstand, mm. the Bible, and like, that's it. It's the yep. same story. It's the hero the villain, the love interest to be saved. You start in paradise. That paradise is undone. You spend the rest of the story trying to restore that paradise. So it was my science fiction novel. It was the movies that I watched on on TV. It's The Dark Knight, The Hunger Games, Saving Private Ryan, The Matrix, Avatar. It just goes on and on and on. Hero, villain, love interest, paradise, paradise that's the Bible. And so I'm like, my faith is exploding in these, you know, years as I'm discovering this. I'm like, well, maybe it's as simple as that, where our novelists or our Hollywood screenwriters, they don't even have to be Christians. I am not saying and I don't say this in my book that a Hollywood screenwriter has sat down It's like, okay, if God is the best selling author of all time, let's just copy his book. Let's do that. And we'll call it Avatar or we'll call it the Matrix. I don't think they do that. What I believe is they actually don't have to. You could right. never read the Bible. And then there'll be something in you. It's like, hey, guys, I'll let you in on a secret. I just wrote this amazing story. Here it is. It's called the Matrix. And then it will be hero, villain, love. And <laughs> like, it's, it's the story of scripture. And if, right. if what the Bible says is true, and we have a master creator who loves us and wants us to know him, that story is written on our hearts. That's why we recognize it. It's a story that we were literally born into. And it's the ending that we want to see. One of the best gospel presentations I've ever heard was given by John Eldridge, who used stories, right? He used uh, movies, he used all these clips, and he was making this point, like, this is the story. It's not just that... um, that these stories resonate with us, but they resonate with us for a reason, which is what I hear you saying, right? They resonate with us because we're invited in. We're invited into this other story that uh, that is what our hearts young, learn, yearn for, right? That that's what we're really after. 100%. That's why I titled the book that. Titled the book, yeah. Our Hearts Desire. How our yeah. stories reveal the thing we want most. So that subtitle is kind of twofold in that are, are the stories that we tell ourselves. And it's oftentimes a lie. Like I, Bob Wheatley speaking, 
if only I could get to the big leagues, then I'll be respected. Then I'll be a man. Then I'll be whatever the stories I'm telling myself that's revealing what I want yep. most. Then all of a sudden I become a Christian. This number one, the stories I tell myself change, but then also the other side of that coin, how our stories reveal the thing we want, we want most. It's like, how can we tell a story like the lion King where you start in paradise, you have this master father who makes everything good, right? You have a bunch of jumping animals. It's, it's the circle of life. It's all in harmony. Then there's a separation from the father. Everything goes to hell. Eventually a savior emerges literally from the wilderness to destroy that evil and restore paradise. Like how our stories reveal the thing we want most. It's not because we love Elton John music for another Disney movie. It's like, no, we love God. We want to know yep. Jesus. We love to see strength. We love to see power. We love to see the villain punished. We love to see justice. That's what the story of the Bible, the story that we were born into promises. That's why we can tell a story like the Lion King. So it feels like two hours of Disney awesomeness. It's like, no, that, that, is, that is human history, guys. That's what will happen to us. It's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think it is why we um, resonate with those stories. I also hear you talking about something else. So I, I have this framework, which I don't actually talk about on here very much. But when I work with podcasters uh, to either start their shows or improve their shows, I talk a lot about mindset because I think mindset matters so much to what we do. And so some of what you're talking about, what I hear in it is the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Those are really mindsets, right? Those are the things um, that I think, honestly, they, they determine not only our actions, but the results that we get, right? We get, um, you, you know, if your story is a bad story, if it's a story of defeat, that's what you're going to end up getting, right? If you're, if it's a story of victory, living into whether we, whether you get to reap all the benefits of it now or not, knowing that Jesus wins in the end, right? Knowing that good has overcome evil, knowing that uh, in the in the end, heaven comes down and you get to be an ambassador for that currently, that can change your whole world, can't it? 100%. And I alluded to it earlier, the conversation that I had yesterday, it wasn't a faith-based conversation. I was actually interviewing somebody for my podcast, that single show, we were talking about money and you know, he was, uh, he was talking about more of a, a self-help type of um, response, initiative, talking point. Mm -hmm. And he shared that whatever you think about expands. And you, he was using the example of if you think about your debt, your debt will expand. If you think about creating wealth to eliminate that debt, the wealth will expand. So it's like semantics, it's, it's kind of small, but he's just saying, Hey, whatever you think about will, yep. will expand. And I share with you, like I've been in a, you know, kind of a darker place the last couple of weeks, like what this is that uphill battle, what is going on? And that was such a light bulb moment for me. It's like, yeah, I have, it would make sense if I've been feeling bad because I've been thinking bad. I've had a, I've had a bad mindset. It's kind of perpetuated itself. Yeah. I did want to take that just because you hear it in a, you know, motivational speech does not mean it's biblical. So I like, I want to take that and take it captive, make it obedient to Christ. Like, what does the Bible actually say about this? 
And it passes that test too. Like right. Paul says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Like think about excellent and praiseworthy things or yep. set your mind on things above, yep. not the things of this world. The Bible does talk a, a lot about mindset and it's like so many things that you hear in scripture, there is a tension between, you know, you, you think about the, the positivity and things like that. You think about setting your mind on things above. Those are, those are good things. Those are growth type of language. You also want to hold that intention with, like I mentioned, David, Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. So you got to have both. And I was erring on the like brokenness. I think sometimes Christians kind of get into this, woe is me, oh, yeah. sackcloth and ashes type of mentality. And I, th I think we can feel that way and be justified if we're looking in the mirror. Like if we're mourning over our sin, 100%. But if we stop there, and I am preaching to myself here. Like we have forgotten the victory that we have. We've forgotten the savior that we have. We've forgotten the joy that's available to us in looking at our hero. Like if it's all sackcloth and ashes, we forget the victory that's been won. We forget the hope that's ahead of us. We forget the power that's been given to us. Like we, we are conquerors through him. Right. So I that's totally right. get what you're saying on the mindset. We're... We're falling. Like we do not have it yep. figured out. There's ebbs and flows. And yeah, I think that's why we're supposed to be in community because we all have blind spots. We, we backslide and stuff like that. You need that person, the mentor, the small group, the author through the written word to say like, Hey, this is truth. Let's, let's get back to, let's get back to reality here. So I, I totally hear you on the mindset. Yeah, I love that. I think it matters uh, so, so much. That was one thing I found in Dallas Willard's work, for instance, and some of those things. His view of the kingdom of God just changed my whole, like, everything from my perspective, from how, uh, kind of like you, where it was like from one way of almost not being a Christian to finding like, oh, there is a, there's a whole, a so much better story, you know what I mean, that we get to be part of, um, which I thought was great. Well, I love that. Okay, so... Uh, the book again is called Our Heart's Desire, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most, uh, which is great. What, um, like if you could tell our friends, like what's one thing that they're going to get uh, from reading this book that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Yeah. So the premise of the book is simple. I've told the gospel through stories, through pop culture. So you have movies, novels, Broadway shows. I quote, three dozen plus and what they'll get what the reader will get from this book is number one you'll connect with god in a brand new way i've had experiences where i'm watching i'm, I'm watching movies that have nothing to do with god like one example that i think of in particular this was over the holidays i was watching jingle all the way you seen jingle all the way <laughs> with arnold schwarzenegger and sinbad it's been a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is like, it is a, it's a dumb Christmas movie. It's definitely not like on the Mount Rushmore of <laughs> Christmas movies. Right. Right. But we were watching it and 
if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil anything. Like you should. Yeah, put it's, on the list it's been for, out long enough. But you're, you're welcome to give Christmas. Yeah, but yeah. I had this moment where Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of like the big, powerful superhero type of character. He has this moment with his son, and I'm like tearing up as I'm watching Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jingle All the Way. I'm tearing up, but I'm not thinking about the movie. I'm thinking about, oh, okay. I, I get it. I get that moment. We as humans, we have a desire. We have a longing to connect with a powerful father who is there for us, who calls yeah. us by name, who is our strength. I get it now. So I'm not just watching the eight-year-old son who's like, oh, my dad's a superhero. It's like, no, I am watching the human race crying out for our heavenly father. That's what's bringing me to tears. So what the reader will get from this book, and really the whole reason I wrote it is one, to help you to connect with God through the movies that you're already watching. Like you're already going to be watching a movie this Friday. This is just to help you understand. Maybe this is why you love it. Maybe you love yeah. the matrix, not because you like Kung Fu and CGI. Maybe it's because you love the story of Jesus. Then the second thing, second reason why I wrote this book, even though there's plenty of scripture in it, what I wanted to do is provide the gospel in a palatable way. You know, this, this is not the King James. We're talking about movies for mm -hmm. 191 pages. So I wrote it as an evangelism tool where somebody who's advanced in their faith, I'd love for them to connect with God in a deeper way. But I also wrote it to be something that you would gift to the neighbor, the friend, the coworker who is like, hey, I, I think they might have a soft heart to the things of God, but I just can't breach the Jesus conversation with them. I wanted to give that person a tool where it's like, hey, I heard this podcast. I read this book. This guy has told the gospel through movies. You know, I'm a Jesus person. We haven't really talked about it, but like, if you're open to it, just give this book a try. I wrote it for that person to where, you know, on a flight from New York to Los Angeles, they could know the story of scripture. I'm just telling it through Saving Private Ryan. I'm telling it through Rachel and Ross and friends. It's like, okay, I get it. It's the gospel through stories. Yeah, I love that. I've thought that for a long time. If we simply have eyes to see, you know, we you can see the gospel literally everywhere. And that can be your reminder uh, that not only is God good, but you can... Um, you know, there's, there's, there's goodness coming, I think. Uh, so we can say that in a lot of ways. Um, I love it, Bob. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story um, and for writing this book and sharing it with us. Our Hearts Desire Friends, that's what it's called. How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most. This is available any place you get books, right? That's where people can find it. Best place best place would be either my website, bobwheatley.com, or on Amazon would be the best spots. Perfect. I've got links to both of those actually in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Your website is bobwheatley.com as well. Friends, go and connect with Bob there. Uh, Bob, is there anything you want to leave us with? I'm super grateful that you had me on. Anytime we can talk about God and stories, I'm up for the conversation. I also love that you're a, you're a Cardinals and a baseball guy. That was, that was fun. All right. Well, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks so much.